Hello there, and welcome to this episode of Down to Sleep. This is a podcast of softly spoken stories and audiobooks to help you get a good night's rest. If you have found this podcast useful and you would like to support it, you can get rewards by joining me on Patreon at patreon.com slash down to sleep. You get access to two new readings every single week. There are also complete and full audiobooks to download read by me, such as Coraline and The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and many more. I hope that you enjoy this podcast and find it useful. Take a nice deep breath and let's get down to sleep with Twilight. It's too bad about the snow, isn't it? Edward asked. I had the feeling that he was forcing himself to make small talk with me. Paranoia swept over me again. It was like he had heard my conversation with Jessica at lunch and was trying to prove me wrong. Not really, I answered honestly, instead of pretending to be normal like everyone else. I was still trying to dislodge the stupid feeling of suspicion and I couldn't concentrate. You don't like the cold. It wasn't a question. Or the wet. Forks must be a difficult place for you to live, he mused. You have no idea, I muttered darkly. He looked fascinated by what I said, for some reason that I couldn't imagine. His face was such a distraction that I tried not to look at it any more than courtesy absolutely demanded. Why did you come here, then? No one had asked me that, not straight out like he did, demanding. It's complicated. I think I can keep up, he pressed. I paused for a long moment, and then made the mistake of meeting his gaze. His dark gold eyes confused me, and I answered without thinking. My mother got remarried, I said. That doesn't sound so complex, he disagreed. But he was suddenly sympathetic. When did that happen? Last September? My voice sounded sad even to me. And you don't like him, Edward surmised his tone was still kind. No, Phil is fine, too young, maybe, but nice enough. Why didn't you stay with them? I couldn't fathom his interest, but he continued to stare at me with penetrating eyes, as if my dull life story was somehow vitally important. Phil travels a lot. He plays ball for a living. I half-smiled. Have I heard of him? He asked, smiling in response. Probably not. He doesn't play well. Strictly minor league. He moves around a lot. And your mother sent you here, so she could travel with him. He said it as an assumption again, not a question. My chin raised a fraction. No, she did not send me here, I sent myself. His eyebrows knit together. I don't understand, he admitted. And he seemed unnecessarily frustrated by that fact. I sighed. Why was I explaining this to him? He continued to stare at me with obvious curiosity. She stayed with me at first, but she missed him. It made her unhappy, so I decided it was time to spend some quality time with Charlie. My voice was glum by the time I finished. 
but now you're unhappy, he pointed out. And, I challenged. That doesn't seem fair, he shrugged, but his eyes were still intense. I laughed, without humour. Hasn't anyone ever told you life isn't fair? I believe I have heard that somewhere before, he agreed, dryly. So that's all, I insisted, wondering why he was still staring at me that way. Am I annoying you? he asked. He sounded amused. I glanced at him without thinking and told the truth again. Not exactly. I'm more annoyed at myself. My face is so easy to read. My mother always calls me her open book. I frowned. On the contrary, I find you very difficult to read. Despite everything I'd said and he'd guessed, he sounded like he meant it. You must be a good reader, then, I replied. Usually. He smiled widely, flashing a set of perfect ultra-white teeth. Mr. Banner called the class to order, then, and I turned with relief to listen. I was in disbelief that I had just explained my dreary life to this bizarre, beautiful boy, who may or may not despise me. He had seemed engrossed in our conversation, but now I could see from the corner of my eye that he was leaning away from me again, his hands gripping the edge of the table with unmistakable tension. I tried to appear attentive, as Mr. Banner illustrated with transparencies on the overhead projector what I had seen without difficulty through the microscope. But my thoughts were unmanageable. When the bell finally rang, Edward rushed as swiftly and as gracefully from the room as he had last Monday. And like last Monday, I stared at him in amazement. Mike skipped quickly to my side and picked up my books for me. I imagined him with a wagging tail. That was awful, he groaned. They all looked exactly the same. You're lucky you had Cullen for a partner. I didn't have any trouble with it, I said, stung by his assumption. I regretted the snub instantly. I've done the lab before, though, I added, before he could get his feelings hurt. Cullen seemed friendly enough today, he commented, as we shrugged into our raincoats. He didn't seem pleased about it. I tried to sound indifferent. I wonder what was with him last Monday. I couldn't concentrate on Mike's chatter as we walked to Jim, and P.E. didn't do much to hold my attention either. Mike was on my team today. He chivalrously covered my position as well as his own, so my wool-gathering was only interrupted when it was my turn to serve. My team ducked warily out of the way every time I was up. The rain was just a mist as I walked to the parking lot. But I was happier when I was in the dry cab. I got the heater running for once not caring about the mind-numbing roar of the engine. I unzipped my jacket, put the hood down, and fluffed my damp hair out so the heater could dry it on the way home. I looked around me to make sure it was clear. That's when I noticed the still white figure. Edward Cullen was leaning against the front door of the Volvo three cars down from me, staring intently in my direction.
I swiftly looked away and threw the truck into reverse, almost hitting a rusty Toyota Corolla in my haste. Lucky for the Toyota, I stomped on the brake in time. It was just the sort of car that my truck would make scrap metal of. I took a deep breath, still looking out the other side of my car, and cautiously pulled out again, with greater success. I stared straight ahead as I passed the Volvo, but from a peripheral peak, I would swear I saw him laughing. Chapter 3 Phenomenon When I opened my eyes in the morning, something was different. It was the light. It was still the grey-green light of a cloudy day in the forest, but it was clearer somehow. I realised there was no fog veiling my window. I jumped up to look outside and then groaned in horror. A fine layer of snow covered the yard, dusted the top of my truck, and whitened the road. But that wasn't the worst part. All the rain from yesterday had frozen solid, coating the needles on the trees in fantastic, gorgeous patterns and making the driveway a deadly ice lick. I had enough trouble not falling down when the ground was dry. It might be safer for me to go back to bed now. Charlie had left for work before I got downstairs. In a lot of ways, living with Charlie was like having my own place, and I found myself reveling in the aloneness instead of being lonely. I threw down a quick bowl of cereal and some orange juice from the carton. I felt excited to go to school, and that scared me. I knew it wasn't the stimulating learning environment that I was anticipating or seeing my new set of friends. If I was being honest with myself, I knew I was eager to get to school because I would see Edward Cullen. And that was very, very stupid. I should be avoiding him entirely after my brainless and embarrassing babbling yesterday. And I was suspicious of him. Why should he lie about his eyes? I was still frightened of the hostility I sometimes felt emanating from him. And I was still tongue-tied whenever I pictured his perfect face. I was well aware that my league and his league were spheres that did not touch, so I shouldn't be at all anxious to see him today. It took every ounce of my concentration to make it down the icy brick driveway alive. I almost lost my balance when I finally got to the truck, but I managed to cling to the side mirror and save myself. Clearly, today was going to be nightmarish. Driving to school, I distracted myself from my fear of falling and my unwanted speculations about Edward Cullen by thinking about Mike and Eric and the obvious difference in how teenage boys responded to me here. I was sure I looked exactly the same as I had in Phoenix. Maybe it was just that the boys back home had watched me pass slowly through all the awkward phases of adolescence and still thought of me that way. Perhaps it was because I was a novelty here, where novelties were few and far between. Possibly my crippling clumsiness was seen as endearing rather than pathetic casting me as a damsel in distress. Whatever the reason, Mike's puppy dog behavior 
and Eric's apparent rivalry with him were disconcerting. I wasn't sure if I didn't prefer being ignored. My truck seemed to have no problem with the black ice that covered the roads. I drove very slowly, though, not wanting to carve a path of destruction through Main Street. When I got out of my truck at school, I saw why I'd had so little trouble. Something silver caught my eye. I walked to the back of the truck, carefully holding the side for support to examine the tires. There were thin chains crisscrossed in diamond shapes around them. Charlie had gotten up, who knows how early, to put snow chains on my truck. My throat suddenly felt tight. I wasn't used to being taken care of. Charlie's unspoken concern caught me by surprise. I was standing by the back corner of the truck, struggling to fight back the sudden wave of emotion the snow chains had brought on, when I heard an odd sound. It was a high-pitched screech, and it was fast becoming painfully loud. I looked up, startled. I saw several things simultaneously. Nothing was moving in slow motion the way it does in the movies. Instead, the adrenaline rush seemed to make my brain work much faster. I was able to absorb in clear detail several things at once. Edward Cullen was standing four cars down from me, staring at me in horror. His face stood out from a sea of faces, all frozen in the same mask of shock. But of more immediate importance was the dark blue van that was skidding, tires locked, squealing against the brakes, spinning wildly across the ice of the parking lot. It was going to hit the back corner of my truck, and I was standing between them. I didn't even have time to close my eyes. Just before I heard the shattering crunch of the van folding around the truck bed, something hit me, hard, but not from the direction I was expecting. My head cracked against the icy blacktop, and I felt something solid and cold pin me to the ground. I was lying on the pavement behind the tan car I'd parked next to, but I didn't have a chance to notice anything else, because the van was still coming. It had curled gratingly around the end of the truck, and still spinning and sliding was about to collide with me. Again. A low oath made me aware that someone was with me, and the voice was impossible not to recognize. Two long white hands shot out protectively in front of me. The van shuddered to a stop a foot from my face, the large hands fitting providently into the deep dent in the side of the van's body. Then his hands moved so fast they blurred. One was suddenly gripping under the body of the van and something was dragging me, swinging my legs around like a rag doll's till they hit the tire of the tan car. A groaning, metallic thud hurt my ears, and the van settled, glass popping, onto the asphalt, exactly where a second ago my legs had been. 
it was absolutely silent for one long second before the screaming began. In the abrupt bedlam I could hear more than one person shouting my name, but more clearly than all the yelling, I could hear Edward Cullen's low frantic voice in my ear. Bella, are you all right? I'm fine. My voice sounded strange. I tried to sit up and realized he was holding me against the side of his body in an iron grasp. Be careful, he warned as I struggled. I think you hit your head pretty hard. I became aware of a throbbing ache centered above my left ear. Ow, I said, surprised. That's what I thought. His voice amazingly sounded like he was suppressing laughter. How in the... I trailed off, trying to clear my head, get my bearings. How did you get over here so fast? I was standing right next to you, Bella, he said, his tone serious again. I turned to sit up, and this time he let me, releasing his hold around my waist and sliding as far from me as he could in the limited space. I looked at his concerned, innocent expression and was disorientated again by the force of his gold-colored eyes. What was I asking him? And then they found us, a crowd of people with tears streaming down their faces, shouting at each other, shouting at us. Don't move, someone instructed. Get Tyler out of the van, someone else shouted. There was a flurry of activity around us. I tried to get up, but Edward's cold hand pushed my shoulder down. Just stay put for now. But it's cold, I complained. It surprised me when he chuckled under his breath. There was an edge to the sound. You, you are over there, I suddenly remembered, and his chuckle stopped short. You were by your car. His expression turned hard. No, I wasn't. I saw you. All around us was chaos. I could hear the gruffer voices of adults arriving on the scene. I obstinately held on to our argument. I was right, and he was going to admit it. Bella, I was standing with you, and I pulled you out of the way. He unleashed the full, devastating power of his eyes on me, as if trying to communicate something crucial. No, I set my jaw. The gold in his eyes blazed. Please, Bella. Why? I demanded. Trust me, he pleaded. His soft voice was overwhelming. I could hear the sirens now. Will you promise to explain everything to me later? Fine, he snapped, abruptly exasperated. Fine, I repeated angrily. It took six EMTs and two teachers, Mr. Varner and Coach Clapp, to shift the van far enough away from us to bring the stretchers in. Edward vehemently refused his, and I tried to do the same, but the traitor told them I'd hit my head and probably had a concussion. I almost died of humiliation when they put on the neck brace. It looked like the entire school was there, watching soberly as they loaded me into the back of the ambulance. 
Edward got to ride in the front. It was maddening. To make matters worse, Chief Swan arrived before they could get me safely away. Bella, he yelled in panic when he recognized me on the stretcher. I'm completely fine, sh Dad. I sighed. There's nothing wrong with me. He turned to the closest EMT for a second opinion. I tuned him out to consider the jumble of inexplicable images churning chaotically in my head. When they'd lifted me away from the car, I had seen the deep dent in the tan car's bumper, a very distinct dent that fit the contours of Edward's shoulders, as if he had braced himself against the car with enough force to damage the metal frame. And then there was his family, looking on from a distance, with expressions that ranged from disapproval to fury, but held no hint of concern for their brother's safety. I tried to think of a logical solution that could explain what I had just seen. A solution that excluded the assumption that I was insane. Naturally, the ambulance got a police escort to the county hospital. I felt ridiculous the whole time that they were unloading me. What made it worse was that Edward simply glided through the hospital doors under his own power. I ground my teeth together. They put me in the emergency room, a long room with a line of beds separated by pastel-patterned curtains. A nurse put a pressure cuff on my arm and a thermometer under my tongue. Since no one bothered pulling the curtain around to give me some privacy, I decided I wasn't obligated to wear the stupid-looking neck brace anymore. When the nurse walked away, I quickly unfastened the Velcro and threw it under the bed. There was another flurry of hospital personnel and other stretcher brought to the bed next to me. I recognized Tyler Crowley from my government class, beneath blood-stained bandages wrapped tightly around his head. Tyler looked a hundred times worse than I felt but he was staring anxiously at me. Bella, I'm so sorry. I'm fine, Tyler. You look awful. Are you all right? As we spoke, nurses began unwinding his spoiled bandages, exposing a myriad of shallow slices over his forehead and left cheek. He ignored me. I thought I was going to kill you. I was going too fast, and I hit the ice wrong. He winced as one nurse started dabbing at his face. Don't worry about it. You missed me. How did you get out of the way so fast? You you were there, and then you were gone. Um, Edward pulled me out of the way. He looked confused. Who? Edward Cullen. He was standing next to me. I'd always been a terrible liar. I didn't sound convincing at all. Cullen? I didn't see him. Wow. It was all so fast, I guess. Is he okay? I think so. He's here somewhere, but they didn't make him use a stretcher. I knew I wasn't crazy. What had happened? There was no way to explain away what I'd seen. They wheeled me away then, to x-ray my head. 
I told them there was nothing wrong, and I was right, not even a concussion. I asked if I could leave, but the nurse said I had to talk to a doctor first, so I was trapped in the ER, waiting, harassed by Tyler's constant apologies and promises to make it up to me. No matter how many times I tried to convince him I was fine, he continued to torment himself. Finally, I closed my eyes and ignored him. He kept up a remorseful mumbling. Is she sleeping? A musical voice asked. My eyes flew open. Edward was standing at the foot of my bed, smirking. I glared at him. It wasn't easy. It would have been more natural to ogle. Hey, Edward... I'm really sorry, Tyler began. Edward lifted a hand to stop him. No blood, no foul, he said, flashing his brilliant teeth. He moved to sit on the edge of Tyler's bed facing me. He smirked again. So what's the verdict, he asked. There's nothing wrong with me at all, but they won't let me go, I complained. How come you aren't strapped to a gurney like the rest of us? It's all about who you know, he answered. But don't worry, I came to spring you. Then a doctor walked around the corner, and my mouth fell open. He was young, he was blonde, and he was handsomer than any movie star I had ever seen. He was pale, though, and tired-looking, with circles under his eyes. From Charlie's description, this had to be Edward's father. So, Miss Swan, Dr. Cullen said in a remarkably appealing voice, how are you feeling? I'm fine, I said, for the last time, I hoped. He walked to the light board on the wall over my head and turned it on. Your x-rays look good, he said. Does your head hurt? Edward said you hit it pretty hard. It's fine, I repeated with a sigh throwing a quick scowl towards Edward. The doctor's cool fingers probed lightly along my skull. He noticed when I winced. Tender, he asked. Not really. I'd had worse. I heard a chuckle and looked over to see Edward's patronizing smile. My eyes narrowed. Well, your father is in the waiting room. You can go home with him now. But come back if you feel dizzy or have trouble with your eyesight at all. Can't I go back to school? I asked, imagining Charlie trying to be attentive. Maybe you should take it easy today. I glanced at Edward. Does he get to go to school? Someone has to spread the good news that we survived, Edward said smugly. Actually, Dr. Cullen corrected, most of the school seems to be in the waiting room. Oh, no, I moaned, covering my face with my hands. Dr. Cullen raised his eyebrows. Do you want to stay? N no, no, I insisted, throwing my legs over the side of the bed and hopping down quickly. Too quickly. I staggered. Dr. Cullen caught me. He looked concerned. I'm fine. I assured him again. 
No need to tell him my balance problems had nothing to do with hitting my head. Take some Tylenol for the pain, he suggested as he steadied me. It doesn't hurt that bad, I insisted. It sounds like you were extremely lucky, Dr. Cullen said, smiling as he signed my chart with a flourish. Lucky Edward happened to be standing next to me, I amended, with a hard glance at the subject of my statement. Oh, well, yes, Dr. Cullen agreed, suddenly occupied with the papers in front of him. He looked away at Tyler and walked to the next bed. My intuition flickered. The doctor was in on it. I'm afraid you'll have to stay with us just a little bit longer, he said to Tyler, and began checking his cuts. As soon as the doctor's back was turned, I moved to Edward's side. Can I talk to you for a minute? I hissed under my breath. He took a step back from me, his jaw clenched. Your father is waiting for you, he said through his teeth. I glanced at Dr. Cullen and Tyler. I'd like to speak with you alone, if you don't mind, I pressed. He glared and turned his back and strode down the long room. I nearly had to run to keep up. As soon as we turned the corner into a short hallway, he spun around to face me. What do you want? he asked, sounding annoyed. His eyes were cold. His unfriendliness intimidated me. My words came out with less severity than I had intended. You owe me an explanation, I reminded him. I saved your life. I don't owe you anything. I flinched back from the resentment in his voice. You promised. Bella, you hit your head. You don't know what you're talking about. His tone was cutting. My temper flared now, and I glared defiantly at him. There's nothing wrong with my head. He glared back. What do you want from me, Bella? I want to know the truth, I said. I want to know why I'm lying for you. What do you think happened, he snapped. It came out in a rush. All I know is that you weren't anywhere near me. Tyler didn't see you either, so don't tell me I hit my head too hard. That van was going to crush us both, and it didn't. Your hands left dents in the side of it, and you left a dent in the other car, and you're not hurt at all. The van should have smashed my legs, but you were holding it up. I could hear how crazy it sounded, and I couldn't continue. I was so mad I could feel the tears coming. I tried to force them back by grinding my teeth together. He was staring at me incredulously, but his face was tense, defensive. You think I lifted a van off you? His tone questioned my sanity, but it only made me more suspicious. It was like a perfectly delivered line by a skilled actor. I merely nodded once, jaw tight. Nobody will believe that, you know? His voice held an edge of derision now. I'm not going to tell anybody. I said each word slowly, carefully controlling my anger. Surprise flitted across his face. Then why does it matter? 
It matters to me, I insisted. I don't like to lie, so there'd better be a good reason why I'm doing it. Can't you just thank me and get over it? Thank you. I waited, fuming and expectant. You're not going to let it go, are you? No. In that case, I hope you enjoy disappointment. We scowled at each other in silence. I was the first to speak, trying to keep myself focused. I was in danger of being distracted by his livid, glorious face. It was like trying to stare down a destroying angel. Why did you even bother? I asked frigidly. He paused, and for a brief moment, his stunning face was unexpectedly vulnerable. I don't know, he whispered. He turned his back on me and walked away. I was so angry, it took me a few minutes until I could move. When I could walk, I made my way slowly to the exit at the end of the hallway. The waiting room was more unpleasant than I'd feared. It seemed like every face I knew in Forks was there, staring at me. Charlie rushed to my side. I put up my hands. There's nothing wrong with me, I assured him sullenly. I was still aggravated, not in the mood for chit-chat. What did the doctor say? Dr. Cullen saw me, he said I was fine, and I could go home. I sighed. Mike and Jessica and Eric were all there, beginning to converge on us. Let's go, I urged. Charlie put one arm behind my back, not quite touching me, and led me to the glass doors of the exit. I waved sheepishly at my friends, hoping to convey that they didn't need to worry anymore. It was a huge relief, the first time I had ever felt that way, to get into the cruiser. We drove in silence. I was so wrapped up in my thoughts that I barely knew Charlie was there. I was positive that Edward's defensive behavior in the hall was a confirmation of the bizarre things I still could hardly believe I'd witnessed. When we got to the house, Charlie finally spoke. Um, you'll need to call Rene. He hung his head guilty. I was appalled. You told Mum? Sorry. I slammed the cruiser's door a little harder than necessary on my way out. My mum was in hysterics, of course. I had to tell her I felt fine at least thirty times before she would calm down. She begged me to come home, forgetting the fact that home was empty at the moment, but her pleas were easier to resist than I would have thought. I was consumed by the mystery that Edward presented, and more than a little obsessed by Edward himself. Stupid, stupid, stupid. I wasn't as eager to escape Forks as I should be, as any normal, sane person would be. I decided I might as well go to bed early that night. Charlie continued to watch me anxiously, and it was getting on my nerves. I stopped on my way to grab three Tylenol from the bathroom. They did help, and as the pain eased, I drifted to sleep. That was the first night I dreamed of Edward Cullen. Chapter 4. Invitations 
In my dream, it was very dark, and what dim light there was seemed to be radiating from Edward's skin. I couldn't see his face, just his back as he walked away from me, leaving me in the blackness. No matter how fast I ran, I couldn't catch up with him. No matter how loud I called, he never turned. Troubled, I woke in the middle of the night and couldn't sleep again for what seemed like a very long time. After that, he was in my dreams nearly every night, but always on the periphery, never within reach. The month that followed the accident was uneasy, tense, and at first embarrassing. To my dismay, I found myself the centre of attention for the rest of that week. Tyler Crowley was impossible, following me around, obsessed with making amends to me somehow. I tried to convince him what I wanted more than anything else was for him to forget all about it, especially since nothing had actually happened to me but he remained insistent. He followed me between classes and sat at our now-crowded lunch table. Mike and Eric were even less friendly toward him than they were to each other, which made me worry I'd gained another unwelcome fan. No one seemed concerned about Edward, though I explained over and over that he was the hero, how he had pulled me out of the way and had nearly been crushed too. I tried to be convincing. Jessica, Mike, Eric, and everyone else always commented that they hadn't even seen him till the van was pulled away. I wondered to myself why no one else had seen him standing so far away before he was suddenly, impossibly, saving my life. With chagrin, I realized the probable cause. No one else was as aware of Edward as I always was. No one else watched him the way that I did. How pitiful. Edward was never surrounded by crowds of curious bystanders eager for his first-hand account. People avoided him as usual. The Cullens and the Hales sat at the same table as always, not eating, talking only among themselves. None of them, especially Edward, glanced my way anymore. When he sat next to me in class, as far from me as the table would allow, he seemed totally unaware of my presence. Only now and then, when his fists would suddenly ball up, skin stretched even whiter over the bones, did I wonder if he wasn't quite as oblivious as he appeared. He wished that he hadn't pulled me from the path of Tyler's van. There was no other conclusion I could come to. I wanted very much to talk to him, and the day after the accident I tried. The last time I'd seen him outside the ER, we'd both been so furious. I still was angry that he wouldn't trust me with the truth, even though I was keeping my part of the bargain flawlessly. But he had, in fact, saved my life, no matter how he had done it. And overnight, the heat of my anger faded into awed gratitude. He was already seated when I got to biology, looking straight ahead. I sat down, expecting him to turn toward me. He showed no sign that he realized I was there. Hello, Edward, I said pleasantly to show him I was 
going to behave myself. He turned his head a fraction towards me, without meeting my gaze, nodded once and looked the other way. And that was the last contact I'd had with him, though he was there, a foot away from me, every day. I watched him sometimes, unable to stop myself from a distance, though, in the cafeteria or the parking lot. I watched as his golden eyes grew perceptibly darker day by day. But in class, I gave no more notice that he existed than he showed toward me. I was miserable, and the dreams continued. Despite my outright lies, the tenor of my emails alerted Renee to my depression. She called a few times, worried. I tried to convince her it was just the weather that had me down. Mike, at least, was pleased by the obvious coolness between me and my lab partner. I could see he'd been worried that Edward's daring rescue might have impressed me, and he was relieved that it seemed to have the opposite effect. He grew more confident, sitting on the edge of my table to talk before biology class started, ignoring Edward as completely as he ignored us. The snow washed away for good after that one dangerously icy day. Mike was disappointed he'd never gotten to stage his snowball fight, but pleased that the beach trip would soon be possible. The rain continued heavily, and the weeks passed. Jessica made me aware of another event looming on the horizon. She called the first Tuesday of March to ask my permission to invite Mike to the girls' choice spring dance in two weeks. Are you sure you don't mind? You weren't planning to ask him, she persisted, when I told her that I didn't mind in the least. No, Jess, I'm not going, I assured her. Dancing was glaringly outside my range of abilities. It will be really fun. Her attempt to convince me was half-hearted. I suspected that Jessica enjoyed my inexplicable popularity more than my actual company. You have fun with Mike, I encouraged. The next day, I was surprised that Jessica wasn't her usual gushing self in trig and Spanish. She was silent as she walked by my side between classes, and I was afraid to ask her why. If Mike had turned her down, I was the last person she would want to tell. My fears were strengthened during lunch when Jessica sat as far from Mike as possible, chatting animatedly with Eric. Mike was unusually quiet. Mike was still quiet as he walked me to class, the uncomfortable look on his face a bad sign. But he didn't broach the subject until I was in my seat and he was perched on my desk. As always, I was electrically aware of Edward sitting close enough to touch, as distant as if he were merely an invention of my imagination. So, Mike said, looking at the floor, Jessica asked me to the spring dance? That's great. I made my voice bright and enthusiastic. You'll have a lot of fun with Jessica. Well, he floundered as he examined my smile, clearly not happy with my response. I told her I had to think about it. Why would you do that? I let disapproval color my tone, though I was relieved that he hadn't given her an absolute no. His face was bright red as he looked down again. 
pity shook my resolve. I was wondering if, well, if you might be planning to ask me. I paused for a moment, hating the wave of guilt that swept through me, but I saw from the corner of my eye Edward's head tilt reflexively in my direction. Mike, I think you should tell her yes, I said. Did you already ask someone? Did Edward notice how Mike's eyes flickered in his direction? No, I assured him. I'm not going to the dance at all. Why not? Mike demanded. I didn't want to get into the safety hazards that dancing presented, so I quickly made new plans. I'm going to Seattle that Saturday, I explained. I needed to get out of town anyway. It was suddenly the perfect time to go. Can't you go some other weekend? Sorry, no, I said. So you shouldn't make Jess wait any longer. It's rude. Yeah, you're right, he mumbled and turned dejected to walk back to his seat. I closed my eyes and pressed my fingers to my temples, trying to push guilt and sympathy out of my head. Mr. Banner began talking. I sighed and opened my eyes. And Edward was staring at me curiously. That same familiar edge of frustration even more distinct now in his black eyes. I stared back, surprised, expecting him to look quickly away. But instead, he continued to gaze with probing intensity into my eyes. There was no question of me looking away. My hands started to shake. Mr. Cullen, the teacher called, seeking the answer to a question that I hadn't heard. The Krebs cycle, Edward answered, seeming reluctant as he turned to look at Mr. Banner. I looked down at my book as soon as his eyes released me, trying to find my place. Cowardly as ever, I shifted my hair over my right shoulder to hide my face. I couldn't believe the rush of emotion pulsing through me. Just because he had happened to look at me for the first time in a half-dozen weeks. I couldn't allow him to have this level of influence over me. It was pathetic. More than pathetic. It was unhealthy. I tried very hard not to be aware of him for the rest of the hour, and since that was impossible, at least not to let him know that I was aware of him. When the bell rang at last, I turned my back to him to gather my things, expecting him to leave immediately as usual. Bella. His voice shouldn't have been so familiar to me, as if I'd known the sound of it all my life, rather than just for a few short weeks. I turned slowly, unwillingly. I didn't want to feel what I knew I would feel when I looked at his too perfect face. My expression was wary when I finally turned to him. His expression was unreadable. He didn't say anything. What? Are you speaking to me again? I finally asked, an unintentional note of petulance in my voice. His lips twitched, fighting a smile. No, not really, he admitted. I closed my eyes and inhaled slowly through my nose, aware that I was gritting my teeth. 
He waited. Then what do you want, Edward? I asked, keeping my eyes closed. It was easier to talk to him coherently that way. I'm sorry. He sounded sincere. I'm being very rude, I know. But it's better this way, really. I opened my eyes. His face was very serious. I don't know what you mean, I said, my voice guarded. It's better if we're not friends, he explained. Trust me. My eyes narrowed. I'd heard that before. It's too bad you didn't figure that out earlier. I hissed through my teeth. Could have saved yourself all this regret. Regret. The word and my tone obviously caught him off guard. Regret for what? For not just letting that stupid van squish me? He was astonished. He stared at me in disbelief. When he finally spoke, he almost sounded mad. You think I regret saving your life? I know you do, I snapped. You don't know anything. He was definitely mad. I turned my head sharply away from him, clenching my jaw against all the wild accusations that I wanted to hurl at him. I gathered my books together, stood and walked to the door. I meant to sweep dramatically out of the room, but of course I caught the toe of my boot on the door jamb and dropped my books. I stood there for a moment, thinking about leaving them. Then I sighed and bent to pick them up. He was there. He'd already stacked them into a pile. He handed them to me, his face hard. Thank you, I said icily. His eyes narrowed. You're welcome, he retorted. I straightened up swiftly, turned away from him again, and stalked off to Jim without looking back. Jim was brutal. We'd moved on to basketball. My team never passed me the ball, so that was good, but I fell down a lot. Sometimes I took people with me. Today I was worse than usual because my head was so filled with Edward. I tried to concentrate on my feet, but he kept creeping back into my thoughts just when I really needed my balance. It was a relief, as always, to leave. I almost ran to the truck. There were just so many people that I wanted to avoid. The truck had suffered only minimal damage in the accident. I had to replace the taillights, and if I'd had a real paint job, I would have touched that up. Tyler's parents had to sell their van for parts. I almost had a stroke when I rounded the corner and saw a tall, dark figure leaning against the side of my truck. Then I realized it was just Eric. I started walking again. Hey, Eric, I called. Hi, Bella. What's up? I said as I was unlocking the door. I wasn't paying attention to the uncomfortable edge in his voice. So his next words took me by surprise. Uh, I was just wondering if you would go to the spring dance with me. His voice broke on the last word. I thought it was girl's choice, I said, too startled to be diplomatic. Well, yeah, he admitted, shamefaced. I recovered my composure and 
tried to make my smile warm. Thank you for asking me, but I'm going to be in Seattle that day. Oh, he said. Well, maybe next time. Sure, I agreed and bit my lip. I wouldn't want him to take that too literally. He slouched off back toward the school. I heard a low chuckle. Edward was walking past the front of my truck, looking straight forward, his lips pressed together. I yanked the door open and jumped inside, slamming it loudly behind me. I revved the engine deafeningly and reversed out into the aisle. Edward was in his car already, two spaces down, sliding out smoothly in front of me, cutting me off. He stopped there to wait for his family. I could see the four of them walking this way, but still by the cafeteria. I considered taking out the rear of his shiny Volvo, but there were too many witnesses. I looked in my rearview mirror. A line was beginning to form. Directly behind me, Tyler Crowley was in his recently acquired used Sentra, waving. I was too aggravated to acknowledge him. While I was sitting there, looking everywhere but at the car in front of me, I heard a knock on my passenger side window. I looked over. It was Tyler. I glanced back in my rearview mirror, confused. His car was still running, the door left open. I leaned across the cab to crank the window down. It was stiff. I got it halfway down and gave up. I'm sorry, Tyler. I'm stuck behind Cullen. I was annoyed. Obviously, the hold-up wasn't my fault. Oh, I know. I just wanted to ask you something while we're trapped here. He grinned. This could not be happening. Will you ask me to the spring dance? He continued. I'm not going to be in town, Tyler. My voice sounded a little sharp. I had to remember that it wasn't his fault that Mike and Eric had already used up my quota of patience for the day. Yeah, Mike said that, he admitted. Then why... He shrugged. I was hoping you were just letting him down easy. Okay, it was completely his fault. Sorry, Tyler, I said, working to hide my irritation. I really am going out of town. That's cool. We still have prom. Before I could respond, he was walking back to his car. I could feel the shock on my face. I looked forward to see Alice, Rosalie, Emmett, and Jasper all sliding into the Volvo. In his rearview mirror, Edward's eyes were on me. He was unquestionably shaking with laughter, as if he had heard every word that Tyler had said. My foot itched towards the gas pedal. One little bump wouldn't hurt any of them. Just that glossy silver paint job. I revved the engine. But they were all in, when Edward was speeding away. I drove home slowly, carefully muttering to myself the whole way. When I got home, I decided to make chicken enchiladas for dinner. It was a long process, and it would keep me busy. While I was simmering the onions and chilies, the phone rang. I was almost afraid to answer it, but it might be Charlie or my mum. 
it was Jessica, and she was jubilant. Mike had caught her after school to accept her invitation. I celebrated with her briefly while I stirred. She had to go. She wanted to call Angela and Lauren to tell them. I suggested, with casual innocence, that maybe Angela, the shy girl who had biology with me, could ask Eric. And Lauren, a standoffish girl who had always ignored me at the lunch table, could ask Tyler. I'd heard he was still available. Jess thought that was a great idea. Now that she was sure of Mike, she actually sounded sincere when she said she wished I would go to the dance. I gave her my Seattle excuse. After I hung up, I tried to concentrate on dinner, bicing the chicken especially. I didn't want to take another trip to the emergency room, but my head was spinning, trying to analyze every word that Edward had spoken today. What did he mean that it was better if we weren't friends? My stomach twisted as I realized what he must have meant. He must see how absorbed I was by him. He must not want to lead me on. So we couldn't even be friends, because he wasn't interested in me at all. Of course he wasn't interested in me, I thought angrily, my eyes stinging, a delayed reaction to the onions. I wasn't interesting, and he was interesting and brilliant and mysterious, and perfect, and beautiful, possibly able to lift full-sized vans with one hand. Well, that was fine. I could leave him alone. I would leave him alone. I would get through my self-imposed sentence here in purgatory, and hopefully some school in the southwest or possibly Hawaii would offer me a scholarship. I focused my thoughts on sunny beaches, palm trees, as I finished the enchiladas and put them in the oven. Charlie seemed suspicious when he came home and smelled green peppers. I couldn't blame him. The closest edible Mexican food was probably in Southern California. But he was a cop, even if just a small-town cop. So he was brave enough to take the first bite. He seemed to like it. It was fun to watch as he slowly began trusting me in the kitchen. Dad? I asked when he was almost done. Yeah, Bella? Um, I just wanted to let you know that I'm going to Seattle for the day a week from Saturday, if that's okay. I didn't want to ask permission. It set a bad precedent, but I felt rude, so I tacked it on at the end. Why? He sounded surprised, as if he were unable to imagine something that Forks couldn't offer. Well, I wanted to get a few books. The library here is pretty limited. Maybe look at some clothes? I had more money than I was used to having since, thanks to Charlie, I hadn't had to pay for a car. Not that the truck didn't cost me quite a bit in the gas department. That truck probably doesn't get very good gas mileage, he said, echoing my thoughts. I know. I'll stop in Montesano and Olympia, and Tacoma if I have to. Are you going all by yourself? he asked, and I couldn't tell if he was suspicious that I had a secret boyfriend or just worried about car trouble. Yes. Seattle's a big city. 
you could get lost, he fretted. Dad, Phoenix is five times the size of Seattle, and I can read a map. Don't worry about it. Do you want me to come with you? I tried to be crafty as I hid my horror. That's all right, Dad. I'll probably just be in dressing rooms all day. Very boring. Oh, okay. The thought of sitting in women's clothing stores for any period of time immediately put him off. Thanks. I smiled at him. Will you be back in time for the dance? Only in a town this small would a father know when the high school dances were. No, I don't dance, Dad. He of all people should understand that. I didn't get my balance problems from my mother. He did understand. Oh, that's right, he realized. The next morning, when I pulled into the parking lot, I deliberately parked as far as possible from the silver Volvo. I didn't want to put myself in the path of too much temptation and end up owing him a new car. Getting out of the cab, I fumbled with my key. It fell into a puddle at my feet. As I bent to get it, a white hand flashed out and grabbed it before I could. I jerked upright. Edward Cullen was right next to me, leaning casually against my truck. How do you do that? I asked in amazed irritation. Do what? He held my key out as he spoke. As I reached for it, he dropped it into my palm. A peer out of thin air? Bella, it's not my fault if you are exceptionally unobservant. His voice was quiet as usual. Velvet. Muted. I scowled at his perfect face. His eyes were light again today. A deep golden honey color. Then I had to look down to reassemble my now tangled thoughts. Why the traffic jam last night? I demanded, still looking away. Thought you were supposed to be pretending I don't exist, not irritating me to death. That was for Tyler's sake, not mine. I had to give him his chance. He snickered. You? I gasped. I couldn't think of a bad enough word. It felt like the heat of my anger should physically burn him, but he only seemed more amused. And I'm not pretending that you don't exist, he continued. So you are trying to irritate me to death, since Tyler's van didn't do the job? Anger flashed in his tawny eyes. His lips pressed into a hard line, all signs of humor gone. Bella, you are utterly absurd, he said. His low voice was cold. My palms tingled. I wanted so badly to hit something. I was surprised at myself. I was usually a non-violent person. I turned my back and started to walk away. Wait, he called. I kept walking, sloshing angrily through the rain, but he was next to me, easily keeping pace. I'm sorry. That was rude, he said as we walked. I ignored him. I'm not saying it isn't true, he continued, but it was rude to say it anyway. 
Why won't you leave me alone? I grumbled. I wanted to ask you something, but you sidetracked me. He seemed to have recovered his good humor. Do you have a multiple personality disorder? I asked him severely. You're doing it again. I sighed. Fine then. What do you want to ask? I was wondering if a week from Saturday, you know, the day of the spring dance. Are you trying to be funny? I interrupted him, wheeling toward him. My face got drenched as I looked up at his expression. His eyes were wickedly amused. Will you please allow me to finish? I bit my lip and clasped my hands together, interlocking my fingers so I couldn't do anything rash. I heard you say you were going to Seattle that day. I was wondering if you wanted a ride. That was unexpected. What? I wasn't sure what he was getting at. Do you want a ride to Seattle? With who? I asked, mystified. Myself, obviously. He enunciated every syllable as if he were talking to someone mentally handicapped. I was still stunned. Why? Well, I was planning to go to Seattle in the next few weeks, and to be honest, I'm not sure if your truck can make it. My truck works just fine, thank you very much for your concern. I started to walk again, but I was too surprised to maintain the same level of anger. But can your truck make it there on one tank of gas? He matched my pace again. I don't see how any of that is your business, stupid shiny Volvo owner. The wasting of finite resources is everyone's business. Honestly, Edward, I felt a thrill go through me as I said his name, and I hated it. I can't keep up with you. I, I thought you didn't want to be my friend. I said it would be better if we weren't friends. Not that I didn't want to be. Oh, thanks. Now that's all cleared up. Heavy sarcasm. I realized I had stopped walking again. We were under the shelter of the cafeteria roof now, so I could more easily look at his face, which certainly didn't help my clarity of thought. It would be more... prudent... For you not to be my friend, he explained. But I'm tired of trying to stay away from you, Bella. His eyes were gloriously intense as he uttered that last sentence, his voice smoldering. I couldn't remember how to breathe. Will you go with me to Seattle? He asked me, still intense. I couldn't speak yet, so I just nodded. He smiled briefly, and then his face became serious. You really should stay away from me, he warned. I'll see you in class. He turned abruptly and walked back the way that we had come. And that is where we close the book tonight on tonight's episode of Down to Sleep.